start us off this morning. What should you wear to church? As Christians, how do you think we should adorn ourselves? Maybe a better way of asking that question, or at least encouraging you to answer it, is to ask, what must a Christian wear? And what should a Christian never, ever, ever put on? What do you think? Okay, well, I'm, I'm being a bit cheeky and I'm trying to get you to think about actual clothing when in fact this morning we're going to be thinking about the numerous directions Paul gives to Christians, the, the Christian community, the church, of how we should adorn ourselves with Christ. I'm going to read a passage from Ephesians chapter 4 and then I'm going to conclude with a passage from Ephesians chapter 6. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for you are all members of one body, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Do something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid then of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. In the Spirit, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Not too many weeks ago, we had the opportunity to go for some surf, swim, uh, surf lessons. It was my eldest's birthday and part of his treat, part of his party was taking him and some mates down to the Gower to um, learn to surf. 
Uh, we didn't have quite enough people to fill all the slots, so I was invited to take part as well. And one of the things that I had to do in order to go surfing was to take off my regular clothing and to put on the wetsuit. Now, can you imagine someone turning up for a surf lesson in their jeans and jumper and shoes and goodness knows what else and not taking those things off before they try to go surfing? It would be an absolute disaster, wouldn't it? It would be ridiculous to see someone laden down in the water with all that heavy clothing. Likewise, can you imagine, don't imagine too hard, taking off all those normal day-to-day -day clothes, but then stepping into the cold Welsh water without a wetsuit. It wouldn't be pleasant. You wouldn't be protected or maintained in the way that you were supposed to be. Neither of those um, pictures, neither of those circumstances are particularly pleasant or advisable. And that sort of illustrates what Paul is getting at here in the second half of his letter to the Ephesian Christians. Paul, in a manner of speaking, is directing them to think about their Christian lives like going for a swim or like going for a surf lesson. Did you notice how many times putting off, taking off was spoken about? And each time taking off or putting off was spoken about, putting something on. Paul wants us to imagine ourselves in Christ as being completely and utterly changed in how we dress, how we appear, how really we conduct ourselves because of who Christ is. What we're called to in Jesus is more than simply the getting rid of certain things or the accumulation of stuff. When we follow after Jesus as believers, there is a necessary subtraction and addition. A few of us had the wonderful privilege only about two weeks ago to attend the wedding of Rachel Duckworth and Tim Jones and our very own John Perry was preaching and he took the opportunity to, to use this um, imagery, this picture of marriage as a great exchange, as an, an illustration for the gospel of how when we come to Christ we can say with all of our failures, with all of our sin, with all of our brokenness, all that I have, I give to you. But it's more than getting rid of, it's more than taking off, it's about putting on because Christ in return comes to us and says, all that I have, all of my goodness, all of my righteousness, all of my holiness, I give to you. There's subtraction, there's addition. And Paul wants us to see that what he's been speaking about up until this point, chapters one, chapters two, chapters three, the reality of a new humanity crafted and created in Christ, of the two separate Jews and Gentiles being brought together through this same one way to God the Father, being called children in God's family, having a seat laid for us at his table. That means that, that there is a new humanity, which isn't just some sort of future ideal or future idea but a present reality. That the new humanity, which Christ himself is an example of, a foretaste of, is supposed to be a present reality amongst God's people, the church. And that involves, Paul says, stripping away the old and dressing up in the new. 
I love how Paul as well doesn't call us to become someone new in order that we might fit into God's family, but that he tells a people to become like that which they already are. That our new identity that we have in Christ is the starting point. It is the beginning, not the conclusion. Because of what Christ has done, therefore we become like this. Follow God's example. Live as Christ has lived. Put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Because of who Jesus is, we get to be this new humanity. And when we look to Christ, we truly see what this new humanity is like. Live a life of love, just as Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's not arbitrary. It's not for each of us to decide, but it is exemplified and crystallized in that self-sacrificing life of Jesus Christ. And so as we work our way through chapter 4, we see all these things which are no longer supposed to be true of us in Christ. But if for every thing to be removed, every top to be taken off, every pair of shoes to be discarded, there is a counterpoint to be added on. We don't want to be in the cold water with no clothes, do we? Paul speaks about taking off that old humanity and instead putting on the new one in Christ. He says about discarding our former way of lives which are governed by our flawed thinking and believing in the lies of this world and instead being renewed in the spirit of our minds. He speaks about those deceptive desires which pull us and lead us away to be rid of those and instead to follow that righteousness and holiness that we are created for anew in Christ. He says, take off lying and instead speak the truth. He says to be done with anger and to not allow instead anger to set, uh, the sun to set on our anger. He says to that one who steals, who cheats, who robs, to no longer do it and instead to do something productive that they can share with others instead of taking from them. He says that in our mouths there should be no rotten speech and instead we should consider words which build up others that we can give to them as a gift. He says that the new self has nothing to do with bitterness and anger and wrath and yelling and blasphemy but instead should be identifiable by the kindness, the compassion and the forgiveness with which we live and show to one another, just as Christ has done to us. You see, the new life is a life that flows out of what Jesus has done. And it's a life that gives evidence to the grace of God in our lives through the work of Jesus. Try as we might without the Spirit of God, bringing to fruition in our lives the work of Christ, we will continue to live in our jeans and jumper and heavy shoes. But when Christ, Christ has come, 
Christ has washed us. Christ has raised us from the dead, Ephesians chapter 2. Then these new lives can and should and will follow. And that sort of elevates the stakes, doesn't it? It elevates the stakes that it's not just this nice idea that we can be uh, pleasant people, that we can be um, more pure, brilliant, wonderful folks. It genuinely is a necessity. It really is a necessity because built into the sort of lives that we live, the relationships that we have is the witness of the church, is the glory and the fame of our God. And that's why in chapter 6, Paul turns to this imagery of a battle going on. A battle that rages and that each one of us who are in Christ finds ourselves a part of. Paul says there's the taking off, there's the putting on, and here he switches and describes it as armour. Armour, because it because we are a part of something that means we will come under attack. That if our lives are that markedly different life that we've seen read and described, not filled with bitterness or rage or anger or yelling or blasphemy, but filled with kindness and compassion and forgiveness and love. Well, then those who oppose God in the earthly realms and the heavenly realms, so too will they oppose us who shine like little beacons, like little lights of God's glory. Those who oppose God will seek to undermine God in the lives of those that he is restoring. If we live the truth and they stand for lies, then they'll want to silence us, undermine us, and undress us. So Paul says, be prepared for that reality. Be prepared for the fact that you will face opposition, that you will face that pull, that temptation, that testing that will make you want to abandon the new self in Christ, the new humanity that you've been invited into. One of the big mistakes that we can convince ourselves of as Christians is that life will just be easy and carefree without any wrinkle or bother because we're loved by God and so everything must be perfect. The reality that the Bible opens our eyes to is that our world, both earthly and heavenly, plays host to numerous players who oppose God and his rule. And as those who are part of his family, well, then we are marked out for attack too. It stands to reason that both the worldly and heavenly opposition would seek to derail that miraculous work that Jesus is doing in his church. And so Paul's encouragement is this, to those who are seeking to live these new lives because of what Christ has called them into. In the face of opposition, in your shot to all the lies that we are told, Paul's encouragement is basically this, go deeper into Jesus. Gird yourself with him and his glorious gospel and everything that flows out of it. If you recall, that's what he prayed for 
in chapter 1, wasn't it? That those of us who know Jesus would know him more. That those of us who have experienced the power of the Spirit in our lives would be um, experiencing that all the more. Those of us who have this hope in him would more fully comprehend and understand and cling to the inheritance that is ours in Jesus. Paul's encouragement to us is this, that if you've been dipping your toes in as the waves come gently lapping up onto the beach, if you've perhaps rolled your trouser legs up and you've waded in knee deep, that what we need to do truly is to dive in headlong, fully immerse ourselves in Christ, to suit up with all the facets of the good news that has been revealed to us. Paul says that we shouldn't just be getting dressed in this new humanity, this new Christ, because that's what we've been called into. But we need to put on top of that the armour of Jesus himself very deliberately because we know that we will come under attack. And he says, belt up with truth. Jesus is the truth. The gospel is the truth. And there will be lies spoken to us that we're tempted to believe. The only way we can withstand that, brothers and sisters, if we are certain, certain of the truth that we have in Jesus. He said, put on this chest plate of righteousness. Again, there's temptations to go and to live in other directions, to abandon kindness and compassion and to just embrace bitterness and anger rather than working to build up others, to just borrow and steal and drain other people. It speaks about fitting our feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Because the temptation will be to stay silent, to hide the light that we have under a bushel. But the gospel, Jesus demands that we be open and bold and declare him. It says to arm ourselves with the shield of faith. Because we know in our lives circumstances will come which will cause us to question God's continued kindness and the enemy will latch onto that and the eyes of faith will look back at what God has already done and say no even in this he will continue to be the God that he has been to fit ourselves with the helmet of salvation to know and to be certain of the fact that it is not us us in ourselves that have made ourselves right with God but it is Christ who has come and raised the dead to life. He has come in his own body and made a way for us to the Father. He says, take this sword of the Spirit, the word of God, so that when you are uncertain in this fast and changing world, you will know stability and certainty. And he says to be a people of prayer. Do you know one of the most consistent schemes of God's opponents is to silence the prayers of his people. Prayers which allow us to be open with God, to keep short accounts with God. Prayers which allow us to hear from God and to be shaped by God. Paul says, before attack even comes, knowing that that is a reality Dress yourself this way. If you want to 
sort of look elsewhere where he speaks in similar language, Romans chapter 13, he says to put on this armour of light, which he describes later as putting on the Messiah himself. Jesus is the light. Come into our darkness. And the darkness continues to oppose that light. But we can be certain that the darkness cannot overcome it. So, dear brothers and sisters, when darkness presses in around us, and it will do, if we are living after Christ, then we must cling all the more tightly to the light that we have been given, that is, Jesus Christ. There is no other light. So let's get dressed. Let's get dressed for the life that Christ has already called us into, ushered us into. Let's be a people who are stripping off and putting on. Can I give you this challenge this week, even this afternoon? Take out Ephesians and reread chapters 4 and 5. And if you're bold enough, 6. Those chapters which are filled with these contrasts. Be not, be. Put off, put on. Reread chapters 4 and 5. And perhaps in a moment of honest reflection with the God who already knows everything about you, confess those things. Confess those things that you are scared to part with. Confess those items of clothing that you are scared to take off. Those things that you cling to because truly you still have hope, comfort, status in them. Confess them to the God who already knows and covenant with God to rid yourself of them. But don't stop there. Don't just take off the clothes ready for the swimming lesson, the surfing lesson. Put on as well. If in chapters 4 or 5 or 6 you see this thing and you think that is, that is such a true description of me or what I am clinging to, well then look. Look at how Paul opens our eyes to what we should be putting on instead because the enemy loves a vacuum. The enemy is quite happy for us to take off and forget to adorn ourselves with a new humanity, with our Christ-likeness. Because in the place of what we have taken off, he has all manner of things for us to put on instead. No, instead, confessing and covenanting with God to take off Name that thing in Christ which you need to put on. Can I challenge you to do that today, this week? Reread 4 and 5. Allow the Spirit to instruct you where it is that you need to change, where you need to undress and redress. And prepare yourself. Prepare one another for battle. We don't just wait around for someone to attack. We should be, as Christians, preparing in advance. And that isn't coming up with clever arguments. It isn't coming up with clever answers to questions um, unbelievers might ask. But it's, it's preparing ourselves, grounding ourselves in him, in the gospel, in the truth. Dive headlong into it now so that when the time comes, you can stand firm. How do we do that? You know what I'm going to say. 
It's terribly, terribly trite. It's terribly cliched, but it's terribly true. We need to be in God's word. We need to be a people committed to prayer. We need to have relationships with other believers who lift us up and push us forward in Christ. So, make the most of the word of God that you have access to. It could be reading big chunks every day, or it could just be meditating for a month on a chapter. It could be sitting down for half an hour to pray through a list of things and to listen and to seek God. Or it could be having this attitude every hour throughout the day of turning to God, of giving thanks to him in prayer, of listening for his voice in your life. It could be beginning new relationship with people in our church. Or it could be reconnecting, deepening the relationships that you already have. Whatever it is, prepare for battle now. So reread, confess covenant, what it is that you need to dress up in and prepare for battle. Because our new lives in Christ are supposed to be exactly that, new lives in Christ right now. And that will put a target on each and every one of our backs. So we need to be ready. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors because Christ has conquered for us. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that we need not carry on living in these old ways, making these old mistakes, falling into these old traps. But in Christ now and by his spirit, there is a new way opened up for us to live and to follow and to honour your name. Lord, we acknowledge that until Christ comes again, we are still part of this battle, of this war, but we are on the winning side. And I pray, Lord, we would naively go into those battles unprepared, but we would in advance get ready so that when the schemes, when the attacks come, Lord, we can stand strong and true in Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for the generations of men and women who have done those two things throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia, so that we can stand here today as your people, as your family, as folks with seats at your table, and give glory and thanks to you in Jesus Christ. Amen.